This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now, let's light this candle. Time for the Jack Riccardi Show. 5-0. and oh, I want to say this right at the start. I don't want anyone to accuse me of burying it. 5-0. and oh, Christian Blood and producer Don Cooper... 5-0 and oh on their picks. Super wild card weekend. Pretty good stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're acting like you forgot. Oh, was I perfect? I didn't even <laughs> right. remember that. How did that happen? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for mentioning that, Jack. I completely <laughs> forgot. Yeah, no. 5-0. and oh. um, Picked them all, and we're going to see what happens tonight. Uh, yep. We all picked uh, Tampa tonight, so yeah. we all rise and fall on that, but... When- to go, guys. I, 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 I do feel like you shouldn't get full credit for the uh, for the Jacksonville uh, game because the you know, come on. I mean, L.A. was ahead like for fifty nine of the sixty minutes, but but hey, it, what matters is the end, right? What did did Lawrence throw four interceptions in the first half? Threw four interceptions and they threw like four touchdowns. Yeah, see, I didn't see that coming, um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I. See I didn't watch that game. I was just checking it on my phone, and I stopped checking it when I figured it was a blowout. And then when I ever looked later on in the day, I could not believe 32-31. Yeah, I just watched the highlights. But uh, for, like you, I almost turned it off about seven minutes in. I'm like, gosh, Lawrence is just throwing yeah. the game away. Yeah. But he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> Buffalo-Cincinnati was a great game. Uh, real old-fashioned smash fest. Uh, yep. Uh, I know we all picked Buffalo. I will say, um, Buffalo let Miami hang around a little too long. I think there's some real question marks about Buffalo having trouble putting away Skylar Thompson. Yeah, that's, you know, they're, but they kind of have that, they, they've kind of got that ingredient the Cowboys have is they may not play a very good game. They may lose one, but they, yeah. they have a tendency to rebound pretty hard. The yeah, one well, game I felt the best about was the Giants beating the Vikings. That was, was solid. That was solid. I, it's, I just, Daniel I, Jones is, He's moving into the elite conversation. Yeah, I agree. And I also think the the Vikings defense was like room temperature butter. You know? Well, I'm, I'm officially done picking Kirk Cousins. You guys tried to warn me, and I <laughs> yeah, didn't no, listen. You... But okay, I'm, yeah, I get it. Yep, yep. I'm with you. All right. Well, anyway, um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. I hope you're having a great uh, day. If it, it, You know, it is Martin Luther King Day, and I remember way back... Back when I were in my youth, when they were debating whether or not to make a holiday. Now, I, I remember people used to say very um, abruptly, they shouldn't do this. They shouldn't make it a Monday holiday because people will, it will trivialize Martin Luther King. It will, it will be a day that people have off and just screw around or don't know why they're off or and it's kind of turned into a, a, a sort of a, you know, oh, yeah, are you off? No, I'm not off. Are you off? Yeah, I'm off kind of thing. Um, so you go around today, like some things are on normal schedule and some things are not, and some people are are there. You go to one business. Oh, he's not here today. It's, he has the day off. Um, but I did watch some of the uh, president speaking. He was speaking at uh, Al Sharpton's thing 
uh, from Martin Luther King. And I, I think Joe Biden is not taking this too seriously. He tried to sing happy birthday to the, um, I guess this is the wife of Martin Luther King III. Uh, he wanted to sing happy birthday to her at this at this breakfast event. Take a listen to this, cut number six. Well, look, my wife has a rule in her family. When somebody's birthday, sing happy birthday. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alvin. Happy birthday to you. Well, know her name. Doesn't even know her name. Where's Jackie? Is Jackie here? Jackie didn't show. Um, he again repeated his lie that he was a civil rights uh, activist himself. Cut number four. I have two political heroes my entire life. When I started off as a 22-year-old kid in the east side of the civil rights movement. Must have been something to be a uh, Puerto Rican young person fighting for civil rights. Joe, tell us about it. Um, and then he just kind of wandered around the, the property. He uh, talked about how we need to have all those new IRS agents because Trump fired a lot of them, and we need to go after the billionaires. Uh, he did that whispering thing about the deficit. Guess what, folks? Um, oh, he said that um, he, he has that line he likes to use about uh, gun control where um, if you're going to go after the federal government, you don't need a um, an AR-15. Uh, you need an F-15. Did I did I send you that one, Don? I don't remember what I sent you. Yeah, he said you're going to need uh, you won't need an AR-15 to go after the federal government. You'll need some F-15. So he he took Martin Luther King Day to remind uh, all of us that he can kill us with his military and we can't do anything about it, which is a nice message on uh, on Martin Luther King Day. You know, I was reminded of um, I grew up in a very white suburb of Boston. I'm not going to pretend like he does. Um, but I had one experience that crystallized for me what, where we have been and where we are now on, on, um, race relations. And I've told this story before, but, but bear with me if you've heard it, because we have a lot of new people coming into the show. I'm in elementary school, predominantly white suburb. They're doing forced busing to integrate the schools. And they tell us one day, uh, the teacher tells us one day, Hey, tomorrow you're getting a new student. And, most of us, almost all of us walked to this school because it was surrounded by neighborhoods and it was a small elementary school. So really nobody took the bus or nobody I knew took the bus to get there. You just walked. But the bus comes. We're in, we're in class. Those of us that are there early, kids are still coming in and I'm there and the bus comes and off the bus comes one little boy walking into the school where he knows no one and no one knows him. And when I look back at that now, I think how cowardly of the politicians to make themselves look better by putting a child in that situation. Just, just putting a child in that situation is so immoral. But he comes in. His name is Daryl. I remember this like it was yesterday. I can see every face. I can see the, the classroom. I can smell that floor wax that schools use, you know. He comes in, and kids are like... Come sit with me. Oh, I've got an, the, the desks were in pairs and a lot of us had an empty chair next to us and they were competing to get him to come sit with him. And then somebody showed him where the pencil box was because you could get a pencil if you didn't bring one. And then there's a place on the back wall where you hang your coats. And 
Nobody told these little kids to do any of this. They did it because they were sweet-natured and they were good people and they had been raised right and they wanted him to be comfortable. They didn't want him to feel afraid or alone. None of them had been given critical race theory. None of them had been given a lecture on their white privilege. None of them had been told that the country is rigged and we have systemic racism and there should be reparations. And no one had told him, these are your enemies. These are haters. These are racists. Yeah, we were young. I get it. Okay. But I think that's progress. You know, I, I, I feel like that wasn't too many years after Dr. King was killed. And I feel like he could have looked on that scene and said, this is what I was working for. This is what I wanted. And now, where are we? And now what are we telling young people in school, no less? And so it makes me mad that we've gone from the voice of the prophet, Martin Luther King was a prophet, to people making a profit on race. Because now race is business. Now you give seminars and you write best-selling books and you consult with Fortune 500 companies and you get a six-figure consulting fee for teaching them anti-racism, which is itself a oxymoronic word. And um, and it's it's it makes me angry. Although it it gives me hope that we once got there, so maybe we can get there again. But we're going to have to overcome what is now an industry. And that's going to be hard to overcome. I think in that respect, we had it easier, don't you? Back in the day. 210-599-5555. All right, some other stuff going on today. I do want to talk about that, and and feel free to give me a call. Um, So they found a few more classified documents. Every few days now, we're going to find a few more documents at the at the president's uh, home in Delaware. And um, the other thing that came out that I read over the weekend that's very interesting, this is from the uh, New York Post. You know, we told you that this house where uh, the vet was parked and the documents were in the garage next to the vet, this was also the, the home for a while, concurrently, of Hunter Biden, the ne'er-do-well son of the then-former vice president. And Hunter is paying rent of $49,000 a month to Joe. Now, I know the other day we said if your kids uh, still live at home when they're adults, you should have them pay rent. But um, the, the most expensive house in Wilmington rents for 6000 a month, according to Zillow. So if you're giving Dad 49000 a month, that's money laundering. Okay, I wasn't born yesterday. So that's money laundering right there. And, and it's just... To me, this kind of like it's like a um, fire hose of corruption. People can't keep up. It's so bewildering in its variety and its its volume that I think people are just like, oh, well, whatever. More doc, you know, more classified documents. That's lost its power to be shocking, you know. Uh, but I do start to wonder, and I'm not the first to to wonder this. You see the Republicans saying they're going to investigate this and they're riding high right now because they've got the majority in the House and it's a new thing. How do we know that this isn't actually coming from the Democrats? 
If you believe the theory that they want to move on from Biden, how do we know that this isn't their way of, of you know, the, the palace guard or whatever, you know, doing him in? Because it does seem interesting. You watch, if you watched over the weekend, a number of Democrats are starting to say, yes, this is troubling. And we, we need a special counsel investigation. They were all in cover up mode last fall when there was a midterm election. But they really didn't, I, I said this at the time, after the midterms, whatever, however they went, they really didn't need Joe anymore. He had accomplished his purpose. 2020 was his purpose. So I just kind of wonder if this isn't coming from them. There was a uh, story uh, I saw about the, remember the city of San Francisco has formed a, um, a reparations committee to investigate giving reparations uh, for slavery. And they have come up with a report that says um, each quote-unquote long-time resident who is black, and long-time has a definition, could get a $5 million uh, lump sum payout, plus they would be given monies to augment whatever they are earning so that they would earn $97,000 a year. I don't know how they came up with that. And they would get this benefit for the next 250 years. So they would get, um, yeah, the the median income in the area is 97000 That sounds low for San Francisco, doesn't it? They would get uh, monies to augment their income if it was lower than that, and they would get a lump sum payment of $5 million. Long-term resident means uh, they've been there, um, they got there between 1966 and 1990. I'm sorry, between 1940 and 1996. You have to live there for at least 13 years and personally uh, be the descendant of someone who was a slave or was incarcerated in the failed war on drugs, their words. So that's going to be reparations. That's a lot of money. That's going to be a lot of people. That's going to be a lot of money. What do you think about that? This is their recommendation. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I guess I'm asking you two questions. Not only what do you think about their recommendation, but do you think this will ever actually happen? So the uh, committee they set up to study reparations in San Francisco has made some very specific recommendations for anti-slavery or slavery reparations. Five million for each longtime resident. Um, pay, uh, basically salary augmentation. Oh, total debt forgiveness, all like student debt would be wiped out, um, and other things. So there's a whole package of things that would be uh, considered reparations for slavery and for the racism of the last 250 years. Okay, two things. They're never going to do it. They're never going to do it. This is one of the greatest scams ever. There are probably people who sincerely believe in reparations, who sincerely believe, and I'm not, I'm not doubting their sincerity, who truly believe this has been a, a, a an incredible multi-generational crime and people need to get paid. What I mean is the politicians are just talking about it. They are never going to do it. The only value of it for them is talking about it. The only value to them is catering to and cultivating their base. They will not come up with this money. 
And I'll tell you why. Because they would rather have the open wound they keep uh, irritating and reopening than they would have the, the accomplishment of the payments. And where would it stop? While I am not going to say that any other discrimination is on the same par, you have Irish Americans, Italian Americans, Asian Americans, you have all kinds of groups in this country who have been told, go back where you came from, who have been told, you don't belong here, this isn't your country, who have been openly discriminated against on housing and employment and education, and for Asian Americans, that is still happening right the heck now. So there would be more reparations after these. Not as much, not as many, not as expensive, but you you couldn't say the remedy for systemic or long-term discrimination is is money, but only for one group. You couldn't say that. People wouldn't settle for that. They're not asking now, but believe me, they would be. So I... I'm not doubting the sincerity of some people on this issue, and you may be one of them. But this is a crass political operation. It has the fingerprints of basically, um, it, to me at least, it has, it has all the fingerprints of just playing up to a base of voters, covering the politicians with glory. It's a chance to dole out Stuff that isn't from them, but looks like it's coming from them. Look what I got you. Look what I gave you. It's it's our politics at their ugliest. I can't imagine that it would heal our country. And the sad part is, I, I really believe we were healing. We were on our way. When I grew up, as a kid, we, we understood what it meant to be colorblind. We understood what it meant to reach our hand out. And it, it was the right thing to do. It aligned with what we were hearing at home. It aligned with what we were hearing in church. All the pieces fit. All the messages were in, in um, harmony with each other. And now there is an entire industry that is clearly built on the idea of stoking guilt and resentment and suspicion. And it feels like a big step backwards to me. A 210-599-5555. Um, Joe Biden trying to talk about Martin Luther King Day is just a, a, it's just the perfect symptom of how off the rails this entire thing uh, has gone. And the more they... The more, the more they, they celebrate Martin Luther King, it seems like the less we actually hear from him. Like you would think we lived in a time when there were no audio recordings, there was no uh, film. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. You could do nothing all day. To, politicians could all shut the hell up and just, they could just run loops of, of, of film and recordings. We're honoring him. Okay. Well, what did he say? What did he write from Birmingham jail? See, they're, they're really not interested in what he was saying. They just are interested in wearing his mantle or his cloak. He was a minister. He talked about God. He said, God wants you. 
not the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or God wants you to see your fellow human beings as creations of God, as children of God. They, they, don't, they don't know what to make of that. They don't know what to make of somebody who reached for and then welcomed the support of white people, of different faith communities, of different political parties. He didn't tell the politicians of his time, this group is okay, but I won't work with that group. So they, they call this day by his name, but they, they've gotten further and further and further away from him. And it's easy to do. If you don't remind people what he said, they won't know. 210-599-5555. I mean, I, I guess that, I guess in a weird way, the people that opposed this holiday were, were right. They said it would trivialize him, that he would become sort of an avatar or, or a, uh, an empty symbol that it would become just a day that people had a three-day weekend. And uh, sadly, I guess that's that's proving to be the case. Um, there is a new uh, statue. They just unveiled a new statue this weekend uh, in honor. I, I can't say it's of. It's in honor of Martin Luther King in Boston. It's a $20 million uh, statue. Uh, it's like, uh, I think it's like 20 feet tall. And people are very upset about it. I'll tell you why coming up. Uh, How could they be upset about a statue? But they are. Um, So the San Francisco, what's called the San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee, which was formed by the city to develop a plan for reparations, released its draft report. And they can't really base it on slavery because California was not technically a slave state. So they expanded it out to all the different ways that people are and were, quote-unquote, subjugated. Uh, because even if you weren't a slave or descended from slavery, you might have been um, exposed to the legacy of it, they said. And so $5 million all at once, 250 years of augmented salary. So I guess you would pass this along to your, you know, obviously, generations. And some other things, um, there would be um, the, a blanket forgiveness of um, student loan debt, housing debt, credit card debt. They call it comprehensive debt forgiveness. Uh, you have to be 18 years or older. You have to identify as black or African American. Oh, identify? Hmm. Um, and then there's some other criteria. You have to have been born there between 1940 and 1996. You have to have lived there for at least 13 years. Um, what, what do you think about this? 210-599-5555. Dev is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Dev. Hey, how's it going? Um, that um, <laughs> um, identify part really made me have a good laugh here today. Um, but all I'm saying is this. If you're going to do, you can't do this. You can't give reparations for people 18 and over. If anybody's going to need to get reparations, it has to be someone that is black, descended from them, and has to be at a certain age. You can't do it to a people who were born in like 1990. What? 
I, I be mean, how would you? But how would you? So how would you structure it? It you would have to have been born at least between before the nineteen eighty five something like that, and you have to have a you know direct descendant of slavery, and it can't be like oh you know they came over here and could not they couldn't find a job. I, that doesn't make any sense. It has to be a structured way. But even with that, the only people that really deserve reparations at this point are the Native Americans. They they were here before anybody. Oh, I mean, you know, yeah, we may, you know, they're waiting. They're waiting to see how this turns out because if, they are. if this is ever gonna if this is ever gonna happen, you're right. But Dev, let me ask you something. Uh, California never had slavery. It wasn't a slave state, so they almost have to kind of move the goalposts in order to do this. They're going to have to make up something. Something has to, that's why they're getting all these rules. You can't do that around, you know, Arkansas or Georgia, because, of course, there was slavery. But if in California, they need yeah. the vote. They're yeah. going to do something to try to get, and they, everybody's leaving California right now. So they need something to keep people there and then make people want to realize that this is the best place to be. And we're going to do all these rules and make it so black people, you know, get money and stuff. That's just making I don't think they will ever. I don't think they will ever do anything like this anywhere. I, I, I really think this it's is, not. It's more valuable to them to talk about than to have to do it. Yeah, you keep putting it off and putting it off, and makes people think something's going to happen. That you know, the thought of hope keeps people going. So, you know, keep people hoping, keep people there, mm -hmm. keep people happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, this is not what MLK stood for. This is not. That whole thing and making white people feel guilty for being white privileged, that's, that's the same thing he was trying to get rid of, is making people feel bad. He, he didn't try to make people, white people feel bad because they, they were white. That wasn't part of that. The whole message has been lost. This march we have in San Antonio is nothing but a fashion show. They don't know anything about what he did. If anything, they'd be out there trying to say, oh, Martin Luther King, that's George Floyd Day or something. You know, it, all this stuff as a black person is starting to really upset me. And I, I'm not trying to be aggravated, but today means something for a lot of us older people. And the younger crowd have no idea what it means. Well, and, you know, I have to say that was what they used to predict would happen if this was turned into a holiday, that people had the day off a Monday holiday on top of that, it would. there was an argument at the time back in the 80s that this was going to trivialize him and his legacy. And, and of course, if you said that, well, you're a racist, you're, you must just, you know. But I, I, I'm sure there was some of both. I'm sure there were some racists, but I'm sure there were some people who said, no, this, is, this isn't going to end well. And it seems like they're right. It seems like people don't even really know what this day is now. I I I had to work. I don't remember ever being off for MIK birthday, you know, for today. Uh even in school back growing up in Arkansas, I don't we had to we could be off. It was an excused day, but it wasn't an you know, you weren't supposed to be off. So it still counts against you. So yeah. but now I mean they give them off and it all of this is just backwards. Everything, if you take it in the past consideration, the past three years, since Floyd, since before Floyd, everything that's been going on has been contradictory to what MLK stood for. Black Lives Matter, all that is contradictory to what he was doing and trying to stand for. He didn't stand up for just black people, for anyone who was part of injustice. Yeah. And been yeah. dragged down. Yeah. That's, that's well said. That's very true. 
I'm, I look. I agree. <laughs> I feel like we were in. I think. I think we were better off before the last five years. I, I just. I feel like we've taken a major step backwards, and what we're telling kids now is so much more poisonous than what those little kids I described in that classroom in the 1970s did without anyone telling them to do it. We need to get back to that. Hopefully, we can. But we ain't, yeah. we're not going to be able to do it divided. We're going to have to be able to do this together. But if my race doesn't want to allow white people to just help them and be nice and not have to feel, you know, but I don't even think it's, it's not the race. White, it's not the race. You know? It's just a, it's a small handful of people that are making a, a fortune off of this anti-racism right. BS. It's not most people or all people or, you know, I mean, you're, you know, you're, and, and let me tell you something else. Whether there's reparations or not, the real money now is in consulting a Fortune 500 company about their white guilt or, uh, yes. you know, setting up diversity and, and equity programs and, and making a and, fortune for a job that does nothing. And have you noticed that they have started, that they get away with it because a person doesn't want to look bad and uh, right. a company doesn't want to look right. bad by saying, no, I can't do this. Right. Rather than go again, go with it and just give them what they want, and that's not. Well, you don't want to be the only airline that doesn't have that, or the only sports team that doesn't have that, or whatever. So yeah, it's 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 that's where the money is. Talk about reparations, that's where the money is. That is definitely you're right. It's a small group of people, and some of the most of them around the you know DC area making the laws for us, but they put this stuff out there. Look, at, yeah. I, I look, I'm black, and they get mad at me all the time, but all of them, Kamala. You got Kamala doing this all the time. You got bite. I don't even know what they talk about half the time anymore. But it's even back to Obama. You know, everything is not racist. Yeah, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm with I'm with you on that, and I'm glad you called. Thank you, Dev. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you taking my time. Abs- appreciate you. Thank you. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Yeah, I mean, we've traded. Uh, Martin Luther King, who was a minister, who was uh, highly uh, erudite, educated, uh, brilliant writer, speaker, uh, someone who had really studied. We've traded him for what? George Floyd? Ibrahim Kendi? People that are just making a business out of division? You know, the civil rights leaders that we claim we lionize, none of them got rich. None of them were rich. It would have been obscene. So I'm just pointing it out. I mean, you think what you want, with whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm here to tell you, though, as a 57-year-old man, that at one time children believed uh, in loving one another, and we've thrown that away. And we need to ask ourselves, if that's an ideal, how did we do that? How did we lose that? And I, I, I actually think that might be a more important question to answer than how much are we going to pay people in reparations, because I'm also going to tell you I think the talk about reparations is just that. You know who went to the border was the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Visited the border. And um, he went because... He says that the illegal immigrants being bussed into his city are going to cost his city $2 billion. 
He had said a billion. Now he says two billion. Our price tag could be anywhere from one to two billion. That's what we're facing. He said in a radio interview over the weekend. Um, we have to ask ourselves when we were already dealing with a potential five or six billion dollar budget deficit. He's talking about New York City. Where is this money going to come from, says Mayor Adams? That money comes from our schools. It comes from our public safety, our hospitals, our infrastructure, our services. So this is the mayor of a sanctuary city admitting that being a sanctuary city is unaffordable. I don't hear anyone anywhere saying, did you not know the price when you were offering to perform the service? Isn't that pretty standard? If I go into business, I know my prices, right? I'm going to make hamburgers, but I have no idea what beef costs or what bread costs or what cheese costs. So, first, here is the mayor of a sanctuary city admitting it, 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 we can't afford it. Secondly, he's telling the truth about how if you have to pay for it, you have to take money out of vital services, which are for the people who live in that city and pay taxes in that city. But he's not completing the circle. You're almost there, Mayor Adams. But you're like Captain Obvious. You've you've t- you've told us what we know. Remember Captain Obvious from those TV commercials. But now tell us how we got here. Explain why we're not finishing the border wall. Fin- explain why we're not deporting people who shouldn't be here. And you know, catch and release. He's almost there. I keep thinking, speaking of sanctuary cities, how remarkable it is that all Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis had to do was rent some buses. And they've exposed the entire sanctuary city structure for what it is. It's a fraud. It was a fraud. It it was the same kind of fraud that now the talk about reparations is. So people loved the feel of 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 saying sanctuary city and voting for people who said it and and beating their chest and proclaiming all the, all the ways that that the illegal immigrant was welcome and i have i have seen in more than one front yard in places like boston and new york the sign that says there is no such thing as an illegal person all are welcome here and that's a fraud if you don't know how much it will cost, if you don't ever intend to keep your word when you say something like that, how dare you say it? It's like inviting people to a dinner and then not cooking anything for them. They come hungry and you have nothing. And that's the reparations argument. The reparations argument sounds good. It's valuable to the politician. It's putting money in his pocket. It's putting votes on his tally. In fact, uh, there'll be a lot more white people that will make money off this talk than any black people ever will. Because they'll raise money politically. But then will they ever do it? No, they will not do it. For a lot of reasons. They don't know where they'll find the money. 
They don't want the, the, the quote-unquote problem to go away. It's their reason for being. And they also know, as Dev pointed out, you'll have Native Americans, you'll have other hyphenated peoples, you'll have, you'll have other oppressed groups say, well, okay, we didn't have it as bad as the slaves, but we need some, some ver- variation of what you're saying they went through happened to us. We won't ask for as much, but we're, we're going to need some that would never end, I think. So you can look at what they're saying and debate the, the finer points of it, or you can just conclude that they're never going to do this. We welcome back to the show now uh, on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, uh, Dr. Alveda King, who's daughter of the late Reverend A.D. King, niece of the Reverend Martin Luther King herself, a powerful evangelist and author and commentator. And Dr. King, great to have you uh, back. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jack. I'm so glad to join you as well. I was thinking uh, or reflecting earlier about uh, two words that sound very much alike, prophet and prophet, and (laughs) the idea that Martin Luther King Jr. was a prophet. And today there are people making a prophet off so-called anti-racism. I mean, how does the the landscape look to you now when it comes to race relations and and the way it's been monetized compared to his era and even the the people that came before him, who none of whom made any money and didn't try to make any money, uh, who had a very God-based and 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 biblically biblically focused uh, message, who reached out and called out to everyone, all were welcome, uh, and that is so different now. My uncle, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was a prophet who was not moved by profit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. as you say, the two words sound alike, but they're totally different. Of course, a prophet of God, because there are many types of prophets. So, the prophet of God is one who's been tested by fire and who has been humbled and is obedient to the word of God. And then, humanity often is moved by mammon and profit. And so, some of the things that you see is because of that. Uh, so, in these days and times, uh, people are really more moved by politics and uh, financial gain and fear and strife and all of that. So on a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, we get an opportunity to reexamine some of his words. And I will often quote more his sermons than I will quote his speeches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in answer to your question, how did we get to where we are? What do we do now? Um, to begin to have people to pray more and examine their own hearts and be kinder towards their fellow brothers and sisters. It, it seems to me that, and I think maybe to other people, that the, 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 the title reverend has been dropped in favor of doctor. It's, it's of course he was both, but, um, I, I think the, the biblical, uh, judeo-christian language he used invocations he gave are very inconvenient for a lot of politicians today well actually that's why you usually will hear me say reverend dr martin luther king jr i put out a little thing on social media i think it was yesterday now and uh 
Senator Warnock, who is pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Horizon Church. That's not Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, pulpit. Martin Luther King Jr. preached at the historical Ebenezer as a co-pastor uh, with his dad and his brother, my my father, Reverend A.D. King. And so that church did not belong to Martin Luther King Jr. People will say uh, President Biden spoke at Martin Luther King Jr.'s church. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. never had a church. He preached and his father and his brother at God's mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. So the historic Ebenezer was God's church. Um, the Horizon Ebenezer is Pastor Warnock's church, and it's a political church. And so he can invite the president in. Pastor Warnock is a senator himself. So sometimes people miss the difference because there's a social gospel that people will preach, and it will include politics. But uh, Martin Luther King Sr., Daddy King, and my dad, Reverend A.D. King, they were not social justice preachers. They were the gospel of Jesus Christ preachers. And I wanted to take a little time this day to kind of distinguish between the two. No, I'm glad you did. Um, what what do you think it would take to re- regain the progress we were making and had made that seems to have been damaged by the most recent profit, not profit, uh, motive of the anti-racists, the Ibram Kendi's, uh, people that are that are getting six-figure consultancies from Fortune 500 companies to set up equity and inclusion programs, um, agitating for. I mean, in other words, really trying to keep the problem alive rather than than find healing or find unity. Well, actually, and if we really, the whole earth is filled with God's glory, and God is still very present right now, today. And so we, it just depends on our perspectives and what we see. Yeah. And so when we see all of the things in the news or in social media, that's true. But at the same time, uh, the Graham, Billy Graham Ministries are still feeding mil- millions of people, even at Alveda King Ministries. We're still taking care of the least of these. There are many people, mm-hmm. there are many Fortune 500 countries, companies, I'm sorry, that are really doing great jobs in the communities and serving, but you just don't hear about them in the news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have to realize that some damage, of course, has been done, but the only reason the damage occurs is when good people are silent and do nothing. Mm. So the minute that good people start overcoming evil with good, then you begin to see more of the good. And so yeah. Jesus, remember when Jesus got bad news, Lazarus had died, for example, he went out and healed people on his way over to take care of the issue. So we who still believe in God, and there are many, many of us, everybody has not bowed his or her knee to bail. So we have to believe that, realize that I'm at a Christian college right now, today, for Martin Luther King Day. And I talked to several children, well, young people today, and they came by and thanked me and took pictures with me. And uh, so what if each one of us reaches our mm-hmm. whole territory that God gave us to reach, then we are making a difference. Mm-hmm. So it, it appear, if we watch the news, it looks like it's hopeless and mm-hmm. we've lost ground. Mm. But honestly, I can assure you, we have not. I'm going to take your word for it, and amen. Everything you yeah, said. Yeah, and you know, um, one blood, one race, 
And that's why CRT and all that scares people and they won't talk about it. And you say, well, there's one race, the human race. There's no superior race because we're all one human race, Acts 1726, one blood. So we have to speak the truth in every generation, every decade, and every day now because of social media. Dr. King, I know it's a busy day for you, but thank you for the time. I, I always appreciate the visit. Hope you'll come back again. Call me again. I'll come. Thank you so much. Will do. Thank you. Um, Cowboys and Tampa Bay tonight. I could have say, said all I need to say about that on Friday. We'll see. Really doesn't matter to me, but Christian and Don are 5-0. and oh. They're, This is important to them. You know, it's important to them. By the way, if they go 6-0 and oh in their wild card picks, we're going to start asking them about lottery numbers and election returns and everything else. So there was a study last week, uh, or not a, a, a study, a, a poll last week. Uh, we just didn't have a ch- chance to really get into it. You probably heard about it on the news. Um, everybody kind of had a little mention of it. And it looked at uh, different generations' attitudes about being an American. And, you know, the the baby boomers, 73% of the baby boomers are proud to, to be Americans, proud to live in the United States, 73%. Gen X. My generation, 54% are proud. Millennials, 36%. Gen Z, 16%. And people, obviously you see the, the trend line there, and people were exasperated or questioning, or is it exaggerated, is that even right? It's probably safe to say, even if it's not, exactly accurate it's probably safe to say that there is some sort of um falling off of connection to country or patriotism so i was thinking about how do you how do you get to your initial attitude about being patriotic or proud to be an american i mean a lot of things could could feed into that experiences you would have in life but the first thing is going to be how you're raised it's going to be your parents the first influence of on every on anything is going to be your parents or your parents so this is why we're asking you on the poll question and i'm really intrigued i want to hear what what has happened with you what has happened with your family if you're willing to tell me did your kids take after you politically did your kids um grow up with your, or, you know, maybe not exactly, but I mean, generally your political leaning or, you know, position. And not to oversimplify it, because we're not all left or right, but I mean, you know, just, uh, do you think your kids reflect your values politically? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And, and we're getting a mix of, of yeses and nos. And the nos, people are chagrined. They're disappointed. They, they're saying it's the schools. It's the culture. And the yeses are saying, you know, what a lot of the yes parents said was, um, yeah, my kids are like me, but I did not force it on them. I didn't push it on them. I think that's why they're like me because I didn't, um, because I gave them space. And one gentleman who wrote a pretty lengthy email said, I, I gave my son space, and he went far, far away from me. And then 
I, I watched life hit him, and he began to circle back. He, I'm, 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 he, he wrote it beautifully, but it's several paragraphs. So he basically said, I watched him kind of return. But it wasn't me. It was that he had to go out there and see that what I had been trying to show him or model for him was right. So are your kids reflective of you politically? 210-599-5555. And by you know, any age, maybe they're all still fairly young and the story hasn't been finished yet. You're, this is like, I can tell you so far, Jack, or maybe they're adults and you, you feel like you can pretty much speak to it. And again, I know it's a personal thing and I, you may not want to answer it at all and that's perfectly fine too, but... Um, uh, how do conservative parents have conservative children? How does that happen, do you think? 210-599-5555. And you can't, you know, you can, you can make your kids go to bed at a certain time. You can make your kids eat their broccoli. You can't make them be patriots. You can make them go through the motions of patriotism. And in fact, any country can make people, can force people under duress to, to kneel, bow, salute display a photo of the dear leader, whatever, but that's not patriotism, that's just compliance. You can't you can't teach this stuff. You have to inculcate it or plant the seed and water it or how do you do it? 210-599-5555. And maybe maybe your kids turned out different, but you're okay with that. I mean some people are, some people it just grinds on them. Uh we're talking about that. And that's our question on the JR poll. You can also vote at KTSA.com. John is calling him with his take on that at 210-599-5555. Hey, John. John, are you there? Nope. Okay. No, John. Um, yeah, I know. So some people, uh, even said, well, I, they're different, but I, I, I celebrate that. I'm good with that. I, I don't mind it. You know, I'm okay with it. Um, and I do think you have to, you have to love your kids however they turn out, right? You gotta love them. You can, you can, you can say, I'm never gonna give up, or I'm gonna hold out hope, or I'm gonna still debate with them. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just curious if they turned out like you, how you think that happened, and if they didn't, why you think that happened. Uh, 210-599-5555. Wendy's on the radio. Hi, Wendy. Hi. So, Wendy, uh, how did your kids turn out politically compared to you? They all followed our direction. All seven. All seven. Wow. Are they adults now or still? Uh, the last one's still in college. Okay. I would say that's adult. And yes. She's, she's 20, and it's, uh, it's a struggle for her in college because mm-hmm. we are conservative, and uh, she sees the other side of it every single day. It frustrates her quite a bit. <laughs> How do you think it happened that that you were you know that 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 you got that outcome? One of the things growing up is uh, both of our parents, my husband and I, always said you have to teach your children respect. They have to respect you. They have to respect their elders, and we we did uh, follow that through, and we tried to set the best example we could. I'm not saying we were perfect. But we did try to set the best example we could. And um, they all recognized it early on, I think. And obviously our oldest set the example 
for the younger siblings. And um, I, I think that's why we taught them to respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, respect America, respect the flag, respect your elders. Um, and that permeated not just our immediate family, but mm-hmm. our extended family as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We have large families, obviously, <laughs> and um, all of the families uh, felt that way. Mm-hmm. And that's who we what, surrounded ourselves with. Was it um, Was it a very religious upbringing? Or? Yes. Yes, we're Catholic. Um, because I wonder sometimes if you, I wonder how much that helps, Wendy, because you can tell a child, respect your elders or, or do this or do that, but at some point they have to know why. I think they saw us respect our elders and how that created a harmony within the family, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. obviously growing up they, they saw the turmoil in other families' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but we surrounded ourselves with what we call, you know, good, God-fearing uh, people mm-hmm. in our community. And, um, you know, definitely we're really careful about who they socialize with. Mm-hmm. We do live in a small community, so um, it's kind of a family atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Wendy, I'll tell you what, seven kids, just just to bring seven kids into the world is an accomplishment, but it sounds like you've done even much more than that, so I appreciate your call. Thank you. So what's your batting average with your kids when it comes to uh, your politics uh, versus theirs? Like my dad had four, my mom and dad had four kids. Uh, my dad was very conservative. Um, I'd say he hit 250 because really only one of us uh, would, if he was still around, would not be arguing with him so but that's i mean it's no reflection on parenting or how good of a person you are um but it's interesting to hear people think out loud about how they did it and how they achieved it or why it didn't work and of course you can do everything right we've all heard these stories right you can do everything right and you can have that that young person that is just a shining chip off the old block and then they go to college you know, and they choose the values of the college, which is easy to do. Doesn't mean they'll always be that way. And that's why I say never give up and, and never get, you know, cranky about it. But, but th- th- that's a hard thing to overcome. If you send your children to a liberal, not liberal arts, a liberal institution of higher education, y- you are, really um fighting an uphill battle you you it's like you're a team that fell way behind in the game Layton is on 550 and 1071 KTSA Layton good afternoon good afternoon I've been interested in listening to your program find it very interesting uh, I've had a few experiences I only had two children of my own one boy and one girl mm-hmm. uh, they pretty good kids until they went on their own and then they Went on the wild side for a little bit, but both of them uh, wound up returning. Yeah. Uh, neither one of them went to college, but uh, both of them turned out to be Christian. But there is a big difference. The boy had sons that wound up in the military following his lead. My son pretty much followed mine, straight arrow type. My daughter let her kids kind of run loose because she was working all the time, so they more or less raised themselves. And, they mm-hmm. went off on the deep end and have not returned yet. So, mm-hmm. 
keeping track of them does make a difference. But like yeah. you said, they go to college, they go to a liberal college, they got that drummed in them every day. It's a tough nut to crack. And it's, you know, I think it's tough, too, because as parents, we we assume that a lot of what we do will be, you know, like they'll imitate it or they'll just absorb it. So we're not real systematic about it. But a lot of colleges, it's indoctrination. It's very sophisticated. It's very organized. And they're just on top of their game, you know. I wish I could tell you you were wrong, but unfortunately, I've dealt with the university, several of them, and uh, yeah. unfortunately, I have to agree with you 100%. Yeah. But like you said, one thing that you can always be hopeful of is that in the real world, sometimes people rethink, and, and hopefully your grandchildren will do some of that rethinking, right? Right. Well, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and you can see this, uh, I've had a ranch for a while, wound up having to sell it because of the wife getting sick. But all the animals had, there was a difference. Everyone had its own personality. So if animals do, obviously we do mm. as people. Yeah. And yeah. each person is affected differently by the same thing. So it's, it's, uh, only thing I can say, you got to help them when you can. You got to make sure that you bring them up biblical. Uh, and yeah. today that's very difficult. But the yeah. thing about the Bible is it teaches you how to be responsible and have self respect. If you don't have self respect, you don't have anything. Yeah, well said. Leighton, thank you. Thanks for sharing all that. And I appreciate the call, sir. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to. Um, <laughs> recruit you to my church or to any church. I'll just make this point. I know a lot of religious conservatives, and by that I mean not people that are conservative about religion, but people who are both conservative and religious. And then I know what I would call secular conservatives, and these are people that are perhaps libertarian, but not church-going or Bible-reading. And and all I'll say is you can you can do it either way. You can do it either way. But I, I know it's harder uh, with the secular approach because at some point you're going to say you ought to do this or you really should do that, and they're going to either say or wonder, well, why? What makes what you're saying right? What makes the, the, the way of behaving that you're advocating or demanding, what makes that better? What makes that right? At some point when we're going to start talking about things being right or wrong, we have to attribute it to something bigger than us. Otherwise, when your kids get to a certain age, and it's younger than we think, they look at us and they go, you know what? He puts his pants on one leg at a time. He, he's not 20 feet tall. What makes him right or her right? And you look at our founding, and you look at In God We Trust, and you realize that even if you're a secular person, the best way to convey what America is about and what its values are about is to connect with um, its, the, the, its religious bedrock. It would be like if you had no musical talent never played an instrument, didn't know how to read a note of music, but you got your kids' music lessons. So if you're a secular person, I, I, I'm going to say this, I think you need to consider or reconsider whether or not you can impart this stuff minus 
the biblical and religious component of it. You can, but it's going to be harder. It's, it's not going to make as much sense, I think. And you don't have to do it all yourself. That's the other thing I would say. You know, we it's easy when you're a parent to, to feel overwhelmed if you're a single parent or even if you're not. Um, you don't have the, you're constantly looking for answers to questions you don't have the answers to or situations you never encountered when you were a kid. Now you have to figure out what do I do about this? What do I do when they tell me that? Um, or maybe your kids get into some trouble and you were never in any trouble. Um, th- that's again where I think having a, a, a church home can be so helpful. And there are some wonderful resources on the internet if you are trying to raise conservative children, things you can use to counter-program uh, what they get in the schools. I, I, I'm a big uh, fan of like Prager University and some of the other, uh, you know, some of these things are are for homeschooling, but even if you're not, strictly speaking, homeschooling, your kids go to school, you kind of have to do some homeschooling if you want to hang on to them, right? 210-599-5555 as we talk about all this. And Steve is next on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jack. Wow, tough to follow those first two callers. They were they were very, very good. Um, my mom used to always t- tell us, you know, if you have questions, look at find the answers in the back of the Bible. If you're not going to read the Bible, open open the Bible every once in a while. Go to the back of the Bible and look up children, mother, father, parent, daughter, son, whatever, and the answers can be found in that Bible. Mm-hmm. So my children, conservative, in their forties. My grandchildren in their twenties, conservative. A few of them, uh, not, you know, staunch conservative, not, you know, dyed in the wool and all that, but none of them turned out to be, you know, crazy psycho Democrats. Uh, uh, they all turned out well. I do have nieces and nephews, uh, that fell off the cliff, uh, and I would more attribute that to the men and women that uh, my brothers and sisters married. Mm. Well, I guess there's always that hope that real the real world will, you know, knock them in the head a little bit because it does. We didn't we didn't shove it into them, but my no. dad, my my mom, my mother used to tell me, don't don't ever vote for uh, Democrats. Do what you want, you know, they both do what you want, but think about it. Do you my mother used to say I was and she was born in Saltillo, Mexico. My mother was born in Saltillo, Mexico. She said, Don't ever vote for them. Uh they want to do here what is going on over there. My dad used to tell me my dad used to tell me, think about it, common sense, logic, reason, consistency, continuity. Present day and time, no fantasy. Well, a thousand years ago, this and a hundred years ago, we had that. No, right now, today, right, and then right. just rational thinking over emotional thinking, yeah. and then just look at which one makes sense. And when you do that and hold the Bible, it's very, very clear who's right and who's wrong. There you go. Those are some good, very good uh, words to live by. Steve, thank you. Appreciate having you today. Um, so. 
it, we're kind of we're kind of asking one of those questions that I I get a lot of people will not want to answer. Like maybe they would answer privately in a private conversation, but it's something that's maybe difficult to talk about in front of other people. And I get that. I respect that. Um, but I wanted to throw it out there anyway. And we've had some really interesting uh, responses. Um, have your children taken after you, politically speaking? Like, do they? Not just vote the way you vote, but are they kind of, do they kind of have your view on things? Generally, generally. And a couple of things that are pretty obvious. One is that you can't force it on children. You can't demand it because they will only comply while you make them. And then if anything, you probably will spin them off harder in the other direction, right? Like the, the, the tendency will be to rebel harder if you make it too much of a, of a, of a, you know, if you drive it home too hard, I, I do think they have to see you, hear you, not only express your views and vote the way you vote, but they, they got to know where this all comes from, which is why I was talking about faith and higher power. Um, and then the other thing is you have to know that at some point they are going to be under the auspices of an education system. And it doesn't just, doesn't just mean college. It can even mean K through 12 where they will be subjected to very sophisticated uh, and repetitious messaging that may be 180 degrees from what you have been saying. So your, your job is never really done. How is it that some parents see the result and some parents don't, and what makes the difference? That's kind of what we're trying to get to. Angel is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Angel, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I was calling about this subject. Um, yeah. Our kids are uh, definitely uh, conservatives. Um, actually, they're more so libertarian. So they are like us politically, but not like us. But mm-hmm. we taught our our children to question things at a young age, even us. Yes. Um, we we're the family that always sat around and had debates, even as young people, you know, like Good. young kids, they're young. Um, I bought an abridged dictionary and we didn't grow up with any money. We were the last key kids who dropped out of high school and we raised these kids. Um, but I got an unabridged dictionary when our oldest was three years old and he would ask me what the meaning of a word was. And I told him, this is the actual authority on what words mean. Although I don't believe that anymore, but uh, <laughs> back then it was true. They used to be true. Um, yeah. This is how it, this is how you look it up, and this isn't exactly what that meaning of that word is. Because you can ask me, and I can be totally wrong, and I can totally believe that I'm right. But this is the authority on what words mean. Yeah. So don't trust people because they can be wrong. Do your research yourself. And my husband and I, we always made our own way. Like I said, we were high school dropouts. Uh, my husband joined the military. When we got back, we weren't doing too great. We started our own business. So they were like, being raised in this business that we were running like we had a little center set up for them while we were working you know so and we didn't provide our kids everything we provided the necessities Mm -hmm. with a few of the things they wanted you know like it was always taught that like look you don't get everything you want if you want it you're gonna have to remember it you're gonna have to maybe pitch in some money for it like this is all i'm willing to spend for this right we that's how we taught them because that's what we knew right 
and how uh, old are they? Yeah. How old are your kids now, Angel? Uh, they're thirty and twenty-eight, and they both have college degrees, and they both get graduated debt-free yeah. because we required wow. it. Very nice. You you could write a book about this. I would buy that book. <laughs> and you know what? You were talking about the secular, uh, the uh, religious. When I was raising them, I was not religious at all. Like I will humbly say I was an atheist because I had my own issues um, and I taught them to find their own path with that I was like if you mm-hmm. believe in God mm-hmm. that's great tell me why you believe in, in him mm-hmm. not just what other people tell you to say right. So right. we did that with everything yeah. and uh, we didn't rely on other people to take care of our kids and I'm not saying that in a negative connotation at all Everybody's got to do what they got to do, but right. we grew up latchkey kids, so my mom was a single mom, so we didn't have parents around that often, you mm-hmm. know, like, we raised pretty much. I think the two things you've really, you've really identified, the self-reliance thing where you can take care of yourself, there doesn't have to be a, an adult there all the time, and the questioning things, see, that's where if you send your kids to a very liberal school system or college, if they are natural skeptics and they, they don't just drink it down, they logically process it, uh, they have a good yeah. chance of getting through that. I think that's, you've really hit two really important pointers. Angel, thank you. I gotta hold you there. Thank you. Later in the hour, we'll have the results on the JR poll. The question was, uh, did your kids turn out uh, or take after you uh, politically? Which can be just a yes or no answer, but, you know, we've had people kind of laying it out and explaining it and diagramming it. Um, It it is personal, so I get that, but if you want to tell me about it, we can do that too. 210-599-5555. I talk to a lot of uh, people that are, you know, both conservative and parents and i hear people will often say without any prompting either i'm really worried about my kids or i'm really disappointed about the way they've turned on our values or the way we raise them and then you'll hear other people say oh man my kids are incredible and uh they're smarter than i was at that age these are all good people these are all people that love their kids it's just interesting to me how it changes and i and i do think all through their lives, your children are a work in progress, just like you and I are. So it, wherever they are now doesn't mean that's where they'll always be, you know, on the spectrum of of things. Um, but it is interesting to, to think about, can you do patriotism and conservatism minus um, a higher power, a a um you know a spiritual basis i i don't mean necessarily go to church i mean thomas jefferson didn't go to church abraham lincoln didn't go to church but they read the bible they were very familiar with it they were you know jefferson was a deist uh the the founders were not all church members or church goers but most of them were absolutely of the belief that there's a higher power and that the only way you can organize the affairs of men is by the the blueprint of that higher power what what we're going to call right and wrong has to come from somewhere c.s lewis wrote a lot about this that you can't just tell people that's wrong without being able to explain to them well according to who according to what 
And, you know, kids reach an age, I mean, we joke about this, right? Teenagers know everything. Maybe you have a teenager right now that knows everything. But they are, you know, as, as annoying as that sort of stage is, it's partly because they are questioning. It's just that they're questioning you. Now, you can you can play it one of two ways. You can do the, because I said so, and it might work. Or you can have the, the you know, the component of your value system that we put on all of our money, every banknote, every coin. In God we trust. E pluribus unum. Um, we acknowledge in the, de- in the Declaration of Independence, rights come from the Creator. So it, it's interesting to me that the founders, as sophisticated men as they were, worldly men as they were, felt it was important to set up our system on a, on a uh, God-based system. And I think you, yeah, you kind of have to set up your household with some kind of higher authority. Or if you don't, it, I think it's much harder to do this. You know, I think that's maybe the greatest dividing line. When, when young people are exposed to a, a, an education system that tells them there's infinite number of genders, sexuality's not binary, and you are what you feel, and you can declare yourself to be whatever you want. You can identify as whatever race you want, whatever gender. Um, I think that's harder when you feel like you were made by someone. You know, you were created in the image of someone. You, just, you were made with a purpose. One of the most heartbreaking questions I've ever heard a young person ask is, why am I here? What, am I, what, was, I, what was I born for? I don't know why I'm here. And we saw a lot of angst and, and, and suffering during the shutdown with people that really started, because they had all the time in the world, questioning, what, 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 what is my purpose? Why am I here? And it led to a lot of depression and anxiety. And people that had a faith system to fall back on did better, generally, through that period of time. When your children are presented with, and they will be, with challenges to what they've always been told, for example, about their sexuality, I just think they have to have something more than, well, my dad always said, or my mom told me. I respect secular conservatives. I know some very fine people that are libertarian. Uh, they are completely agnostic or atheist, but they, they're... Their libertarian values are are excellent and elegant, and they can argue it very um, persuasively. They love this country. Um, I just think that's a little bit harder to to carry off in raising kids. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So we've been talking about that. We've been talking about reparations. The city of San Francisco. Um, has come up. They had a committee they set up for reparations for African Americans, and they've come up with recommendations that include um, five million dollar lump sum payment of reparations. But then goes even beyond that. Uh, it includes augmenting um, income for two hundred and fifty years, so that it is raised up to the median income for the San Francisco metro area. 
So if you're not making the, me- the median, they'll just plus you up to it. And then they forgive all debt. <clears throat> and they've set some very interesting criteria for who would be eligible for this program, and they acknowledged it's difficult to have slavery reparations in a state that never had chattel slavery. So they've defined it other ways. And I think that points out the real danger of this right here. You may just be against reparations anyway, but even if you're willing to entertain the idea, it becomes this kind of amorphous, we can change the, the reasons, we can, we can move the goalposts, we can uh, expand it for other purposes, we can establish these arbitrary cutoff birth years, And then we're saying, it actually says in the recommendations, people who identify as African-American or black. So that means you don't even have to be, you know, where would it end? And then where would it end with every other ethnic or racial population that said, hey, at one time we were told to go back where we came from. We were told we didn't belong here. We were told uh, don't apply for a job here. We were told don't apply to live in this apartment building we don't take your kind i mean that's i'm not i'm not saying every exper- every group experienced the same thing you know if you start getting into that argument african american people will say wait a minute wait a minute you didn't have slavery okay i i get it but to varying degrees aren't there a lot of groups that could say well we should get some reparations some version of them where would that end it's not even race and, and gender. You could race and ethnicity. You can get into gender. Maybe women are owed reparations. So, having said all that, I also don't really think we're ever going to see them. Remember how we used to say that politicians like talking about illegal immigration much more than they like doing something about it. Both sides, by the way. I see it the same way here. I think reparations are very politically valuable. It's an incendiary topic. You can get people very excited about receiving them. You can get people very angry about those who oppose them. You can make a lot of money in the form of campaign contributions if people think they're at issue. In fact, as long as you don't ever pay reparations, you can do a lot with reparations. But if you pay them, then they're suddenly not worth very much. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Keep the keep the problem alive. Don't solve it. I mean, does that sound maybe that sounds crazy or that sounds paranoid? But is it not true that on things like illegal immigration, are you going to argue with me that politicians have benefited way more from un, an unsolved problem than, than they ever would from solving it? We might give temporary credit in one election if somebody passed a really strong measure or bill or. But then eventually we'd forget that. But if you keep the problem alive, if you keep the wound fresh and bloody, you can keep exploiting that. I think that's what they're going to do with reparations. I think we'll be hearing about it. I think I think 50 years from now we'll be hearing about it. 100 years from now we might be hearing about it. But I don't think they'll ever actually do it. Maybe 100 is probably crazy. But I don't think they'll do it. I think they'll just talk about it. You may have noticed... Um, we're probably not talking as much about the Biden papers as other talk shows are. It's not that we're not going to talk about them. We, we talked about them a lot last week, but I got to be honest. Um, 
you know, I, I'm a real person. This is a, a show hosted by a real person. This is not uh, some sort of plug-and-play Republican radio like a lot of talk shows are. I, I don't really know if the Republicans even know where to go with this. You know, I, I, of course, he should not have had the freaking classified documents in his garage or in a house where his cocaine-addled son lives. But can we just be honest? Joe Biden shouldn't be around classified documents, even if they're chained to the desk in the Oval Office. The guy is so out of it that even if he never, if those papers never left the White House, I don't trust him not to blurt something out that he's read or received in a briefing. So I'm, don't get me wrong, it's a real issue, but he's the problem. Not where the papers are, but for crying out loud that we've elected him and he's getting all this. Like, I I noticed a big issue today. It was all over Fox all day long. Well, there's no visitor log at the Wilmington house. In other words, when the president goes to his private house, one of them, uh, they don't keep a visitor log. The White House keeps a visitor log. Okay, I'm kind of a history buff. I've read a lot about the Kennedy presidency. I've read a lot about the FDR presidency. Do you think we know all the people that came and went from FDR's presence and company? Or JFK? My goodness, what reading that would be. This is nothing new. I don't expect the... I I understand the logic that there should be one. Like, if you're protecting this guy, you should absolutely know who comes and goes and who's been... But I I don't expect that they do. And I'm not surprised that they don't. And... I'm not going to waste your time. You've had a long day, and you're listening to this show on the way home or when you get home or what have you, and I'm not going to waste your time with a lot of faux outrage about something like that. The, 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 the whole story about the classified documents is a story because Joe Biden is president, and before that because he was vice president, because Barack Obama recklessly, fecklessly, foolishly chose him to be vice president. And that was a, a an incredibly bad decision that was purely political. Barack Obama, whatever else you think of him, he knew Joe Biden had no business being within 20 miles of the presidency, and he put him a heartbeat away. And one of the ways we know that Barack Obama knew that and believed that was that he never seriously considered grooming him as his successor. So... The people that know Joe Biden know he shouldn't be president, and I'm not even really sure he totally is. But if you want to worry about something, don't just worry about where the papers are. Worry about the fact that on an hour-by-hour basis, this man, who can't keep his wife and his sister straight, who keeps um, wandering into anecdotes that are not true and we all know are not true, is around classified documents, is given classified briefings, receives the PDB. I think that's the bigger problem, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, I don't like the papers in the garage. I don't like the fact that Hunter could be, you know, renting them out like blockbuster video. But, but really the bigger problem is that you put the, you put the Biden crime family in the most powerful place on earth. You're going to have all kinds of bad outcomes with that. This is just one of them. And it shouldn't surprise anybody. I don't know where this story's going. As I said earlier, there's a paranoid side of me that thinks, well, maybe the Democrats are trying to get rid of him. You know, maybe they're trying to 
craft a a sort of you know homegrown Watergate type situation where maybe he wouldn't resign, but he would he would be pressured, persuaded, blackmailed, whatever, not to to uh, run in twenty twenty four. I really think what the Democrats want is for him to announce sometime um, this summer that he uh, you know he's very proud of leading the country through COVID and creating. 600 billion new jobs, which he thinks he has, but now he's going to step aside and enjoy his grandchildren and, you know, let the country have younger, more vital leadership, whoever that might be. That's what they want. He was a Trojan horse for them in 2019 and 2020. Mission accomplished. They do not want to run him in 2024. They say they will. They say they have to say that, but they're done with him. They're done with the whole, and they're done with, Kamala too. They're not. They're not interested in her. Just my. Just my two cents worth. Whatever it's. You know. I can't prove any of it. It's just what I think. Two ten, five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We were talking about um, Martin Luther King earlier because today is Martin Luther King Day, and they unveiled a statue. and And some friends of mine had told me about this over the weekend. I sort of didn't pay attention, but friends of mine up in Boston said, "Oh, there's this big uh, brouhaha about a new statue." Of Martin Luther King. Now, I thought, why would there be a why would there be any controversy in Boston? I mean, first of all, it's a very liberal city. Uh, secondly, uh, he he has a lot of connections to Boston. He went to Boston University, and I think he met Coretta there. Okay, this is a twenty million dollar statue on the Boston Common called the Embrace, and I, I I posted it on my Facebook page. If you haven't seen it or you're not on Facebook, just Google it. Because you would think it's like a statue of him standing or sitting or a bust. It is the weirdest looking thing. I had to look and look and look. I can't figure out what exactly it is. So I read about it, and it was created or inspired by a photo of when Martin Luther King learned that he had won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. And there's a photo of him embracing Coretta you know, in celebration of this good news. So he's got his arm up and around her, and she's got her arm. And so it's the embrace. It's it's a sculpture of their arms, I guess, apparently. But it, it, it doesn't look like anything. And, and, <laughs> I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I'll, maybe I'm not sophisticated enough to get it. I don't pretend to be any kind of an art expert or art connoisseur, but... It's the craziest looking thing. I guess the family was consulted, and I guess they're okay with it. Um, it is, to me, incomprehensible and rather ugly. I guess I just wonder, maybe I sound like an old fart, but I, I just wonder, why, why can't statues be just statues of people like, oh, that's what he looks like in life, or here's a statue of her standing, or if you want to commemorate the embrace, why not a statue now, stay with me. This is going to be abstract. What if you sculpted figures that looked like Martin and Coretta embracing? <gasps> what? I just don't, you know, I'm not like a torture friendship kind of guy, okay? I'm just letting you know. So check it out. See what you think. The embrace. I'm not embracing it. Um, we talked a little bit last week and the week before about the scandal in Virginia where 
first it was one school. Now it's several high schools have been caught withholding national merit notifications from students who had earned them. Remember, when we talked about it with Osra Nomani, it was Thomas Jefferson High School, which is a nationally famous magnet school, but it turns out several other schools, some of the magnet schools, uh, have also done it. They uh, simply withheld from students what those students had achieved. And it's not just a document or a piece of paper or a certificate. Being able to report that you're a National Merit Scholar to the colleges you're applying to can mean acceptance. It can mean a full or partial ride at those schools. And and again, it's it's the payoff. It's the honor you've earned. The schools held it back, and they've been caught having done so. And Governor Glenn Youngkin is furious, and rightly so. And here's some of what he said uh, to WJLA-TV over the weekend, cut number five. It impacts their ability to apply to college for scholarships. And, uh, and this idea of a, a golden ticket, as it is called, um, was withheld from them. And it seems to have been withheld, withheld to, from them for the purpose of not wanting to make people feel bad who didn't achieve it. And all of a sudden, we see it spreading around to the rest of Fairfax County. They have a maniacal focus on equal outcomes for all students at all cost. In a 7 News interview, Youngkin blasted Fairfax County Superintendent for spending hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars on equity consultants. The reality is that we have a superintendent in Fairfax schools who has explicitly stated that her top objective is equal outcomes for all students regardless of the price. I'll tell you two things. First, as an aside, I hope Glenn Youngkin runs for president because he can only serve as governor um, for one four-year term. That's it. You can come back and run again as a, for a non-consecutive term, but he can't run for re-election. So whereas somebody like Abbott or, or DeSantis, you know, hey, I like what they're doing, let's keep them, can't do that in Virginia. I I really think he is one of the smartest, most um, persuasive conservatives we have in this entire country. Uh, I would put him up there at the top of the top tier with with DeSantis and some others. And um, but putting that aside, he's talking about these principals who withheld, who hid students' achievements from them. What What is the definition of a principal if not to help students reach their highest heights and, and achieve whatever is capable? I mean, you, you didn't just mess up. This is literally the worst job of principaling you, you can possibly, I know that's not a word, you can possibly do. If you're not helping kids find opportunity, but you are withholding from them opportunity. It doesn't get any worse. You need to find another job. This is not for you. So the schools are trying to cover their butts and, quote-unquote, listen to parental concerns. But this stuff is beyond the pale. I mean... And and it, the list of schools that are admitting to it or have been caught doing it is growing. I'm glad it's coming out, but I'm heartsick 
you know, my daughter is right now in the process of applying to colleges or waiting to hear back. She's applied, so I'm heartsick. You know, you know, your kid isn't going to get everything he or she wants or strives for. We understand that, but to know that the people you trusted, to know that the institution you paid dearly for with your tax dollars kept from the highest achieving, hardest working students the ultimate fruition of their efforts and did it because the school wants to look good, because the school wants to have equity, because the school hired at very high cost equity consultants. Yeah, I don't really care if some Fortune 100 company wants to throw money away on an equity consultant or create a, a DEI VP position. Go ahead. This is our money. These are our kids. And it makes you wonder what else they're doing and hoping not to be caught. Hasn't the story of the last three years, pretty much since distance learning, remember distance learning? Oh, it's going to be great. That's turned into a nightmare for everyone involved. But ever since we got the distance learning, that was the beginning of the seeing behind the curtain. And it's like the the hits just keep on coming. I, I wonder how much more we are going to find out. Now, um, I read a story today. This was in USA Today. Is it time to stop saying aloha and other, which I haven't, I don't think I've said recently, have I? I don't know. Uh, is it time to stop saying aloha and other culturally insensitive words out of context? Aloha, hola, shalom. These are ways to say hello in Hawaiian, Spanish, and Hebrew, respectively, says USA Today. But just because you can say something doesn't mean it's appropriate. So what they're arguing is that although we live in a multilingual world, not everyone is welcome to use the lingua. Not everyone is welcome to use the terminology. And you shouldn't be saying hola or shalom or whatever, out of context, or ni hao. In fact, if you use cultural words that are not of your culture, that is a cultural microaggression, says Jeffrey McCune, director of the Frederick Douglass Institute of African and African American Studies at the University of Rochester. Language is critical to our culture. We can't just casually use language in ways that might offend and or even harm groups of people. You know, I, I, this is we're going to have to get into this another day, but I, I, of course I don't want to offend anybody. Of course I don't. And I'm going to be reasonable in my avoidance of offending anyone. But if you are so delicate, if, you're, if you are so overripe and delicate and your skin will bruise just at hearing aloha, I'm thinking you might not want to leave the house. Uh, no, I am not going to um, <laughs> demand that people show me their culture card before they say shalom. What the hell is coming over people? I get that there are people that make money off this, and if you're the director of the such and such institute, okay, whatever. But, like, where are real people getting off thinking, I cannot 
hear you use my word. I am bruised by that. We need to go back to the sticks and stones thing they told us in the playground. Remember that? We need to go back to that. Now everything is a stick or a stone. It's a microaggression. We should be so lucky that the only things we have to worry about are microaggressions. Have you seen the crime rate recently in our major cities? I don't think microaggressions are the problem, do you? That's amazing. I'm so old, I remember when it was actually considered... Um, when people were were actually kind of jazzed to hear what what had been confined to their group shared with others or spoken by others, it it made them feel mainstreamed, accepted. It meant they were they arrived. Same thing with like food. Now it's cultural appropriation. If I open a, as a white guy, if I open a restaurant and I say I'm going to serve Asian food. Now that's cultural appropriation, but at one time, believe it or not, people would have said, hey, it's great that everyone is embracing our food or our tradition. Good, let them, let them make it, let them, let them try. Which is worse? I don't believe we're going to adhere to all this. I just, it needs to be called out for how silly it is. Uh, JR poll, we ask a question every day during the show, which even though it's not the only thing we talk about, it's available to be voted on all through the show. And in fact, it's always up at KTSA.com. And our question on the JR poll today has been, did your kids or kid take after you politically? Did they turn out to reflect you politically? Um, across all our platforms, here's how the voting went. 56% said yes. 44% said no. We'll have a new question tomorrow when we get started at 4. And just as you can find the poll anytime at KTSA.com, you can also find this show anytime. This show is always on at KTSA.com or wherever you like to go for podcasts. Just look for Jack Riccardi's show. And we have whole episode podcasts, so we don't do it. We don't break it into, like, segments or interviews. Each day's show is an entire podcast, and you can find those at KTSA.com and a lot of other places. And there's also a great Friday show that's up on our Yes, uh, Friday's uh, show is available as a podcast. <laughs> Don would like you to know. We've, we had some uh, issues with that, and Don was able to restore it, bring it back to life. So it's like the miracle of the loaves and fishes, only technically. Um, before we go tonight, because this is MLK Day, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Day, um wanted to share with you a, a talk that he gave at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on October 26, 1967. He is only months away from his own uh, very young uh, death. Uh, so at this point, he's about 38 years old. And he's speaking to junior high school kids, and he's really giving them a talk that is about more than just civil rights. It's about life and your blueprint for life so tonight we leave you with the words of the reverend dr martin luther king i want to ask you a question and that is what is in your life's blueprint this is the most important and crucial period of your lives for what you do now and what you 
decide now at this age may well determine which way your life shall go. And whenever a building is constructed, you usually have an architect who draws a blueprint. And that blueprint serves as the pattern, as the guide, as the model for those who are to build the building. And a building is not well erected without a good, sound, and solid blueprint. Now each of you is in the process of building the structure of your lives. And the question is whether you have a proper, a solid, and a sound blueprint. Life for me ain't been no crystal stat, it's had tax in it. Boards torn up, places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time, I's been a climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you stop now. Don't you sit down on the steps cause you finds this kind of hard. But I'm still going, boy. I'm still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Well, life for none of us has been a crystal stair. But we must keep moving. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, keep moving.